thank God I'm redeemed. Hallelujah. Wow. Pardon me? Thank you. Children's Church, eight years old and younger, is dismissed. Thank you. Wendy, can I close this? Guatemala missionaries. Guatemala missionaries, I've got a two-page addendum to your original application. If you just grab these two pages um, after the service. Sorry about that. All right. Well, I tell you what, that song just goes so hand-in-hand with the message this morning. Um, You know, because I believe that one of the greatest reasons for us to have joy in our life is because we're redeemed, because we're saved, you know. So I'm going to preach to you this morning on fruit that's always in season, kicking off or or continuing on, rather, with a message that I began several weeks ago when we began looking at evidence, began looking at evidence in our lives that proves that we're disciples of Jesus. Uh, We've talked about the fact that before you can make one, you got to be one. Amen? Before you go about making a disciple, you got to be one yourself. So let's uh, look at this evidence, this proof that God's Spirit controls our lives. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. This proof, this evidence that we are disciples. So let's read it once again. Uh, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Because I want you to understand all these strange words that you might find. And I pray this helps uh, for you to make sense of some of the things that God is looking for as disciples of Jesus. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, Paul writes, I say, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, walk with God, and you won't do what you want to do. Keep going. For your old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature wants to do in your life. But when you are led by the Spirit of God, you'll no longer force yourselves to obey God's law. When we're filled with the Spirit, we don't have to force ourselves to be good Christians. We don't have to force ourselves to be disciples. But when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce the following evil results. Listen carefully. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, an eagerness for lustful pleasures, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, trying to constantly get the best for number one, yourself, complaining and criticizing, the feeling that everyone is wrong except for those in your own group, Uh, being envious, murder, wild parties, all that sort of living. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, I love the word but in scripture, but when the spirit controls your lives, God will produce the following kind of fruit in your life. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there are no conflict with God's laws. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed those passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. 
So, if we are living now in the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Then we won't need to look for honors or popularity, which leads to jealousy and hard feelings. Let's pray together. Father, our prayer is simple this morning. We want to experience the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, the very first fruit that we talked about several weeks ago, uh, that very first evidence that proves that we're disciples of Jesus is love. And we concluded that we live in a world that talks a lot about love and glorifies the subject of love, but in, uh, in all reality, there's very little real love being shown in the world we live in. Uh, as a result, people are looking for love in all the wrong places. Who sang that country song? Merle Haggard? You know who I'm talking about. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, they're looking for love in improper relationships and cults and gangs and, and whatnot. So you and I, as disciples, as believers, you and I need to be beacons of God's love in a love-starved world. We need to be, as a church, an oasis of love where people can come here and be loved on. Amen? And that's why I love our fellowship time, because that gives us the opportunity to kind of love on one another. Now, the next fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions is joy. And I believe that everybody in this room wants to experience plenty of joy in their lives. So, but specifically, Paul is talking about this kind of joy. A joy that's separate from circumstances. It's a joy that's based on a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have that kind of joy? As you look in the mirror this morning, do you have that kind of joy that separates itself from the circumstances you find yourselves in? If you look in the news, if you look in the newspaper, you'll find that many people don't have it. Many don't have it, and you've been around those kind of people, haven't you? Have you ever run into a grump before? <laughs> you ever run into a griper before? Have you ever run into somebody who's negative about virtually everything? Uh-huh. Ever run into a complainer? Uh-huh. I have too. They're all over the place. And as a result of what they do, they're just not much fun to be around. One of my favorite stories about this kind of grumpy person begins with a man who went into a doctor's office. He walks in and he's met by a grumpy old nurse. Sorry, Bill. A grumpy old nurse. You're not one. Anyway, he walks in the door. He says, ma'am, I've got a sore on my chin that I'd like for the doctor to look at. With a snappy voice, she says, down the hall, first door on the right, take off all your clothes. And he said, well, ma'am, just, I just need the doctor to look at the sore on my chin. Down the hall, first door on the right, take off all your clothes. But ma'am, down the hall, first door on the right, take off all your clothes. So he goes down the hall, takes the first door to the right, walks in, and there's another man already sitting there in his boxer shorts, shivering. He said, man, that nurse is some piece of work, ain't she? I mean, I just got this little sore on my chin, and she told me to come down to this door and take off all my clothes. 
The man in the boxer shorts said, you think that's bad? I'm just the UPS man. <laughs> Some people are just plain difficult, amen? Man, uh, it's just amazing. And I think what they need is an attitude adjustment. They need a different perspective on life. They need to find out what real joy is all about. They need an attitude adjustment. Let me give you a definition of joy. Joy is an evidence of the presence of God in your life. Joy is an evidence that God is present in your life. If God is in your life, if you are filled with the Spirit of God, then this fruit of joy will be obvious to everyone who sees you. Now don't mistake happiness for joy. A lot of people do that. The Bible mentions joy or rejoicing 330 times, but only mentions happiness 26 times. They're not the same, but happiness is dependent upon what happens to you. Get it? Happiness depends on what happens to you. So if all the circumstances in my life are right, then maybe I can be happy. But joy. Joy, rejoicing, comes from the inside, and it's always there. We can always have joy. So today we're going to look, we're going to identify some enemies of joy. We're also going to look at a perfect example of joy, and then we're going to consider this question. How can I experience the Lord's joy in my life? So let's look. Let's, let me share with you three enemies that try to steal your Joy. The first enemy of joy is unresolved guilt. Unresolved guilt. Many people in this world are just unable to accept the forgiveness of God. I mean, they say to themselves, God couldn't possibly forgive me for all the things I've done. They think, my past is just too bad for God to forgive. Some people come through a divorce and somehow they feel inferior in the sight of God. Some people have had a brush with the law and they think that they're not welcome in God's house anymore because of that. Some people maybe uh, resist opening up or resist being vulnerable for fear that people won't understand or that they will uh, misinterpret those secrets in their past. It's so sad. I confess to you, there have been times in my life when I have felt that way. Where I had done too many wrong things. I felt I did too many bad things for God to forgive me. But what I realized was, is that I just really didn't understand the love of God. Because the love of God forgives a multitude of sins. And I thought about King David. You all know the story of King David, a man after God's own heart, and he was the same way. You know the story, he committed adultery, and when he did it, he knew exactly what he was doing. When he did it, he knew exactly what he had done. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and the Bible says that he took her. That means he made an intentional effort to go and get her and to have this adulterous affair with her. And afterwards, he felt enormous guilt over what he'd done. He wrestled with that guilt. But finally, he came to God in Psalm 51, verse 12, and he prayed this. 
Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And God did it. Restored to him the joy of his salvation. Maybe you need that this morning. Maybe you need to have a better understanding of the love of God that can forgive all of your trespasses, all of your sin. Maybe you need to know that God is waiting to forgive you. If you need that this morning, I want to encourage you, let God resolve your guilt. A second enemy of joy might be a wounded ego. Many people walk around, their feelings are exposed. They're just waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing to them. They're just waiting for somebody to act the wrong way. They're just ready for somebody not to say anything at all and ignore them. Then all of a sudden, guess what happens? It happens. Somebody ignores them. Somebody doesn't act the right way. Somebody says the wrong thing. And what happens to that person? They get offended. And they begin holding this grudge. But you know what? People just don't say the right things all the time. Even Christians, sometimes they don't say the right things all the time. Sometimes people don't act the way they should. Sometimes even Christians don't act the way they should. And sometimes they're going to offend you. They're going to offend you. But, and sometimes your feelings are going to get hurt. But when your ego gets wounded, don't let it steal your joy. Because joy overcomes a wounded ego. Share with you a third enemy of joy. And this is a big one. And all of you have experienced this one. Unpleasant circumstances. Every single one of us have gone through unpleasant circumstances. But do you know what an unpleasant circumstance is? It's something that didn't happen the way you thought it should happen. That's what it's an unpleasant circumstance is. And all of us at times have had unrealistic expectations in our life. I remember when I was young, I started thinking this way. I'm going to have the perfect marriage. And I do, praise God. But, but, only after I failed in marriage the first time, only after I suffered heartache the second time, I remember saying that I'll make my first million before I turn 30. I didn't. Amen? I remember thinking I'll be wondrously happy all of my life and I'm never going to have any problems. I'm going to live happily ever after. But I realize problems come. Problems do come, and they come to everybody. You may lose your job. Your children may disappoint you. You may have heartaches. Your, you, your health may break. Problems do come. They do come. But here's the good news. Even though our circumstances may be unpleasant, God still gives us reasons to have joy. Here's one thing you need to remember. When those enemies of joy try to steal your joy, you remember these three things. God is with you. God has a plan for your life. And God will help you to live in joy. He's with you. He's got a plan for you. And he's going to help you. So don't let those enemies of joy steal your joy. Now I'd like to share with you a perfect example of joy. 
Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 15. And I'm going to read you a little passage there in a minute. Uh, but let's see what the Lord Jesus has to say about joy. But before I actually share this little passage with you, uh, I want to set the stage for you, okay? It's the night before the crucifixion of Jesus. He's in the upper room with 12 devoted disciples. Soon, he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Soon, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. He's going to be convicted of crimes he did not commit. Soon, they're going to be laughing at him. They're going to be mocking him. They're going to thrust a crown of thorns into his forehead. And they're going to slap him. They're going to spit on him, they're going to kick him, and they're going to whip him with a cat of nine tails. Soon his body will then be nailed to a cross, and he will die. But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. He knows all that's getting ready to happen. He knows it's all getting ready to happen. Now it's not a very joyful time, is it? Let's read in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, they are which are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father will be glorified, that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I also love you and abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, listen, these things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. My joy becomes your joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. On the last night of his life, facing the cross, Jesus is talking with his friends about love and joy. The next day, he goes to the cross and dies for the sins of mankind. The writer of Hebrews looks back on this night and in chapter 12, verse 2, says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Get this. Who for the joy set before him. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame. Who for the joy Endured that? How can there be any joy in that? How 
can there be any joy in what Jesus went through? How can there be any joy in coming to a Grow Outreach meeting after you've worked all day? How can there be any joy in spending your weekends raising for money so that you can go on a mission trip to a third world country? How can there be any joy in that? Well, I hope that before this message is over, you're going to understand how there can be joy in that. So listen carefully as we answer this question. How can I experience the Lord's joy? First of all, I believe that we need to develop and maintain a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's day in and day out. We need to develop that. Listen again to what Jesus says back there in John 15 verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Jesus says that when we become Christians, we are like a branch attached to a vine. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And as long as we are attached to him, we will bear much fruit. And one of the fruit that we'll bear is joy. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? We will bear, we will produce much joy in our lives. That's where it all begins, is being attached to the vine. You can never have joy in your life like Jesus is talking about until you become attached to the vine. If you're a Christian and you don't have much joy in your life, Maybe you need to get reattached to the vine. One of my concerns about churches all over this land is there are so many detached branches. People who come every Sunday, but in all reality, they're no longer attached to the vine. They're detached. As verse 6 says, they're withering. They're withering on, off the vine. So maybe, friend, you need to be reattached to the vine. Now, how do you make that happen? How do you get reattached to the vine? Let me give you three basic things. Three basic things that you need to do to reattach to the vine. First of all, you need to read God's word. You need to read God's word. You cannot know God's will. You cannot know God's plan for your life. You cannot know God's purpose for you unless you're reading his word. Unless you're spending time communicating with him in prayer. And I'm not just talking about a little two or three minute devotion here, friend. I'm talking about some dedicated time. When it's just you and him. You reading his word and sharing your heart with him. We need more than that. Some sincere, heartfelt time alone with God. Friend, can I tell you, you not only need to make time, but you got to take time to spend time alone with God. Second thing you need to do 
in order to reattach to the vine. And that is you need to attend church. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of basic. But there are people in this world that think you can be a great Christian and not go to church. I disagree. I happen to think that we need each other. I happen to think that we cannot make it by ourselves. We need one another. So until you're rejoicing with the family of believers, until you're spending time with brothers and sisters in Christ, you'll never have that firm attachment to the vine. So come to church. Come to church. Stay attached to the vine. Let's learn from each other. That's the joy of Sunday school, is being able to learn from each other. Let's grow with one another. It's good that you can encourage me in my personal walk with the Lord to grow. To grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's learn from one another. Let's grow together. And the joy of the Lord will remain in us. And our joy will be full. It's just that simple. You know, years ago, I had the privilege of meeting a man named Hollis Kitchens, a pastor, longtime pastor. Does anybody remember Hollis Kitchens? Amen. There's a couple, there's about three of you. Good. Well, Hollis Kitchens came to a pastor's conference one Monday morning and he shared his testimony. And I was absolutely overwhelmed at the joy of this elderly man. Brother Kitchens had a daughter once who was killed in a car accident at age 22. Brother Hollis also had a son who died of a heart attack at age 39. Brother Hollis was also married to a woman that had been very, very sick for almost 30 years of their marriage. And when Brother Hollis Kitchens passed away at age 93, he was still in love with the Lord. When he passed away, he was still praising God for his favor, praising God for his presence in his life. He was still praising God for the churches that encouraged him through those tragedies. He was still exceedingly joyful all the way up to the day that God took him home to heaven. And his joy became full. Friends, that's joy. That's joy that's separated from circumstances. It's different from happiness. And I believe that the Apostle Peter shares that in a wonderful way in 1 Peter chapter 4. He writes, Dear friends, don't be surprised when painful trials come your way uh, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice. Rejoice that you get to participate with the sufferings of Christ, that you would be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Friends, right now, times may be tough for you. They may be very difficult for you, but I want to tell you that one of these days, you're going to see the glory of God, and you're going to be overjoyed at what you see. So be reattached to the vine. To do so, you've got to read God's word. 
kind of attend church with believers who will love on you. But perhaps most importantly this morning, you got to give yourself in service to other people. You want to get reattached to the vine? Give yourself away. One of the biggest problems in our world today is that people are so doggone self-centered. They're so self-centered they no longer experience the joy of serving other people. Do you want to know why the writer of Hebrews says that he, Jesus, endured the cross, scorned the shame because of the joy that was set before him? Do you want to know why the cross was an object of joy for Jesus? Do you? Do you want to know why? Here's why. Because he didn't do it for himself. Do you think that Jesus went to the cross for himself? He didn't go there for himself. He went there for you. He was doing something for someone else. And that's why he could call that old rugged cross a place of joy. Yeah, there's joy even in a cross when you're doing it for somebody else. That's why our GROW outreach ministry is so incredibly important because everybody who participates in that ministry is doing something for someone else. Everyone who's participating in that ministry has this incredible opportunity to receive and experience joy. They experience joy because they're calling the lonely. They experience joy because they're visiting residents of nursing homes. They experience joy because they're sharing the gospel in people's living rooms. They're experiencing joy because they're praying with the afflicted. They're experiencing joy because they're sending greeting cards, encouragement cards to those that are having a hard time. They're experiencing joy because they're less focused on themselves and more focused on others. And so they begin to experience joy. Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. May I paraphrase that? If you seek to save your own life, you ain't going to have no joy. But if you give it away, Jesus said, you'll find it. If, you're, if you will give your life away, you'll find that joy you're looking for. Janet's pastor, when she was growing up, was a man named Henry Melton. And I remember hearing a radio broadcast of Brother Henry. He was preaching like he always did, just letting her rip. And here's what he said, and I don't think I can say it the way he did, but I'm going to try he said, do you want more love? Give it away. Do you want more money? Give it away. Do you want more joy? Give it away. Because if you give it away, then you will find it. Give it away. 
Do you need to be reattached to the vine? Well, one evidence of God's presence in your life is joy. If you don't have joy in your life, maybe it's about time to get reattached to the vine. Do you have it? If you do, cherish it. If you don't have it, I want you to know you can. Just reattach yourself to the vine. Because then and only then you'll be reattached to the only true source of joy this world has ever known. My prayer for you this morning is that you understand a few things. My prayer for you this morning is that you understand that because God created you, He's got a purpose for you. I'm praying that you'll understand that because God loves you, He offers you an eternity filled with joy. I'm praying you understand that because God fills the believer with His Spirit, he will help you fulfill his purposes in your life. Are you attached to the vine? Do you need to be reattached to the vine? This decision time is for you. Because as you look into the mirror of your life, there's only two people that know if you're attached to the vine or not. You and the vine. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us the vine, Jesus Christ, your son, for us to be attached to. Without Song.